I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we're breaking down being a filmmaking con artist, aka a creative <laughs> problem solver to cheat things to save money. If you'd like to suggest a new topic, send us a compliment, ask us a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at BreakingOutPod or via email, Breaking Out of Breaking pod at gmail.com. And if you want deeper dives into everything we cover on this podcast, including today's episode, as always, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash breaking out pod. We are currently on a crusade to break even by International Podcasting Day, which is September 30th, 2021, for those mm-hmm. of you listening in the future. So um, for us, breaking even means being able to pay for all of our expenses and not actively lose money on making this podcast that we love making. And so that is $250. We are, I think, currently at 54. So we got a little ways to go, but don't you worry, stay tuned. We're going to be incentivizing uh, beyond our very good existing bonus content. So stick around or get involved now so you can be on the ground floor. (laughs) So Christina, what's the most ambitious cheat you've ever succeeded at? Okay, the most ambitious, I think, Interestingly, is one I already talked about was from my very first short film, Do Over, which was getting an ambulance in front of a house. We went to a volunteer fire department and asked them if we could shoot inside of their truck. And then we got like a shot that we were able to put on a specific angle and then we put it into the frame of the film in front of the house and it looked pretty good and and so that I think was the most ambitious and it's funny because it's like the least seen of anything that I've ever done sure <laughs> I, I feel like when it, we're always more ambitious with our first things because it's like we have no idea what our limitations are we're mm-hmm. just like well this is the script that I wrote we'll figure it out and I I do miss that about my you know early producer self yeah Because like you, when we were planning to record this episode today, Christina, you were you were slacking me about like, hey, do you have any like pictures of some of the cheats you might talk about so I can put them on Instagram. And I was going through all of my old shoots. And most of them are from brains from my first project, I Mm -hmm. haven't cheated as much, you know, like my last project, there were basically no cheats, not really, we just shot in a hotel room, like we wrote very specifically to our limitations rather than writing something we were excited about and then going for it. I don't think there's like an inherently right or wrong way to do that. And I'm mm-hmm. sure we will kind of cover that in our inspiration and writer's block episode in a couple of episodes. But it yeah. is it is funny that <laughs> so many of our biggest like the cheats that I think we get away with um, later in our careers are less like visual and more like we just learned how to use our equipment better. Right. So like, you know, there's cinematography cheats we can talk about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just thought that was interesting that it's always our, our yeah. earliest things. Yeah, I think it's. It is like the more you produce, you start to realize how you can shift things to accomplish what you're going for without needing that specific thing. Yeah. Whereas when you're just starting out, it's like, well, I need an ambulance because they, they you know, they show up and she needs, mm-hmm. she needs medical attention, you know. For instance, in one of my later shorts, we just, it's actually one of my favorite shots. It's also not like one of my favorite films, but so it's not seen very widely, but it's one of my favorite shots where we just put a pillow up against a wall and then put the guy against the pillow he was standing against it and it's a really tight shot and then it's 
from the audio. And even it's funny, my mom asked me how we did that. And I was like, you're thinking what you hear is what you see, because it looks like he's being wheeled on a on a gurney. And because of the audio, if you're hearing the ambulance and the chatter of a hospital and and it feels like chaotic when really it's just a simple tight shot of him against a pillow. And that's something that I did years after doing do-over where I was like, I need an ambulance. And like, I, you know, hustled to make that actually literally happen visually. But then later I was like, I don't actually need an ambulance. I just need the audience to understand that he's getting medical attention. And I think that that's a good place to start as like a a high level piece of advice for filmmakers looking to like push things further is that oftentimes I think that people assume that like to cheat is to be cheap. Mm -hmm. And it's it's about like, well, I guess I have to give up on my dreams and my vision in order to inexpensively make this little film. And I know like as a teacher, because one of my my classes that I teach for um, my old grad program, I they have to like produce a, a pilot for their web series within a single semester. And as a result, like the scripts that they turn in initially, a lot of the things I have to talk to them about are like, okay, what, you know, you have a, a, a scene where you need 50 extras. There's a coronavirus. <laughs> How are you planning to do that? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, some of them are very receptive, but a lot of them get very like, especially because they're writers first, they get very like defensive, like, well, but I need it because otherwise, how will you know it's busy? And I'm like, well, let's, let's think about that. Right. If the the reason that this, you know, crowd scene exists is because you need it to feel busy. Well, do we have to see your characters in the crowd scene? Or can you get some stock footage? Do like, is it really the crowd that we need to see? Or do we just need to hear it and feel it? And that doesn't mean that we literally need to see it you know, put them in the back corner of a room and add Foley, you know, go to a crowded place and record a little bit of it and then use that as the background. Like we have so many senses beyond visual. And I think that a lot of early filmmakers forget that. Mm -hmm. They just assume, well, if this is in the script, I need to see it. But oftentimes we will understand and believe that it's there without ever having to like literally see you shooting in an ambulance, things like that. Right. So that's my tirade. It doesn't (laughs) have to be cheap. It's about being creative, creative problem solving. It doesn't have to be like a creative limitation. It can be a creative opportunity. Mm -hmm. I have COVID disclaimer in here. A lot of the, the cheats that I have used in the past would not work for the current situation. Like Mm -hmm. for instance, there is a food cheat um, further down to like help save money on craft services that Mm -hmm. I've done, which is basically just assembly lines. You get like sandwich or salad or, you know, some other kind of food, like the materials, which are often cheaper, like two loaves of bread and some fixings is cheaper than like two pre-made sandwiches. Mm -hmm. The problem obviously with COVID is that like that the, the right. risk of contamination gets much higher. So yeah. the the disclaimer here is that sometimes like the cheat is just cram everyone in a closet. Right. That might not be safe right now because unfortunately, as of recording this, despite the fact that we could have been over COVID months ago, yeah. we're not. Yeah. So yeah. grain of salt, we'll try to call that out when we mention it. But mm-hmm. yeah, if you're if you're listening to this and it's still peak pandemic, please do not take advice in this episode as cool. I can say to hell with COVID safety because now I can do this cheaper. No. <laughs> yeah. no. Safety still comes first. Yes, 100%. There are various ways you could cheat that are like bypassing safety <laughs> measures and regulations. Yeah. And There's that's a lot of like, definitely, camera stuff that I've seen. Yeah. And like we're definitely not going to really talk about any of that because we don't advocate sacrificing anyone's mm. safety. One thing I did want to say 
just because we were talking COVID and it just, it just came to my mind. Last July when they were shooting all the like TV Christmas movies, I saw mm-hmm. on Twitter was trending for a while in kind of the film production section was this one movie, I think it was a Lifetime movie, where they had two people because they were shooting during COVID and so they had people social distancing and and I don't know exactly what their safety protocols on set were because it was fairly early to even be back to production. But um, one thing that they showed on social of BTS was the two leads kissing with a plexiglass between them. And then they I somehow in post made it look like there wasn't a plexiglass between them. And I thought that that was just an interesting cheat. (laughs) Yeah, I remember you sharing that with me. Yeah, it's sort of the equivalent of like when you pretend to walk down the stairs when you're like behind a couch. It's like that, but with filmmaking, (laughs) you know, or like, you know, think of like Lord of the Rings. So much of that was just a trick of perspective. Like Mm -hmm. a lot, you know, obviously there were quite a few special effects in the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, but a lot of the effects were especially to make sure that the actors could have someone to play off of. George Lucas (laughs) is like they would just force perspective and have like the really tall appearing characters be just literally closer to the camera and make sure that the lens could focus on everything. So like Frodo is yes, walking next to Gandalf. But like, if you actually look at how they film it, you know, Elijah Wood is like 20 (laughs) feet back or whatever. And they're, you know, having a conversation as if they're next to each other. So that's, I mean, big movies do it, little movies do it. You can do a lot with lenses. I mean, there's like so much that you can cheat with lenses, especially with distance. I think that's something, speaking about COVID, like that's one thing you can do is make people look closer together when they're literally farther apart because of the lens mm-hmm. choice. And a lot of the times of getting getting like cast especially to believe you that a cheat is going to work is just continuously reinforcing like it looks good in camera because yeah. like as an actor especially when I was like newer to filmmaking and I didn't really know what was happening like I'd be like this feels extremely strange and my directors would have to be like I know it feels strange but I mm-hmm. promise you it looks great like do the scene I will then come behind the camera and I will show you it feels weird to you but it looks exactly what we want it to look like on camera and you know it's a lot about it is just trust and reassurance. That's right. And sometimes, I mean, if you have like a little monitor, a second monitor, just spin it and show them, you know, and like Mm -hmm. just to get that allow them to get out of their head then and accept that it's mm-hmm. the, like trust that it's good yeah a lot of it for me was like i i would feel like i was sitting in my like co-star's lap and my director would be like you need to get closer to him i'm like that can't be possible it cannot <laughs> be possible for me to get closer to this man and then it i you know he turned the camera and i was like oh my gosh it looks like i'm on the other side of the room <laughs> you're right okay i will get closer and it's just like yeah you're our, our physical perception being in a space is very different from how a camera captures it. And mm-hmm. Christina's totally right. The type of lens you're using changes that even more drastically. Yeah. One of my favorite things that we did with lens, you know, playing with lenses is in episode nine of Kelsey, my web series, one of the characters, Tyrone, has just gotten a car. And so they decide to go for a little road trip to Dunkin' Donuts. It's very silly. And they go through the drive through and we couldn't actually go through the Dunkin' Donuts drive through because, you know, we'd be like wasting their time, we'd get in trouble, we'd be holding up right. traffic. And so what we did was we drove our car along the drive through. And because of the lens, it looked like there wasn't this large space between the the car and the window. 
And there was definitely like there were cars next to us in the drive through like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> but but we weren't do we weren't causing any interference and so no one bothered us. And we totally pulled it off. And like you just would have no idea that we weren't actually right up against that window ordering something. Yeah. And also a lot of times, yeah, it's just like the angle at which you're filming. Mm -hmm. You know, if you shift the perspective just a little bit, it's like everything changes visually. Okay. I love that. So I started with people cheats. And Great. obviously the... <laughs> The caveat is we're not cheating like the real human people, mm -hmm. like they're not getting cheated. It's we are cheating something related to like scheduling issues, stuff like that. So let's start with cast cheats and a big cast cheat that I was able to do primarily on found footage shows, but I've also done in, in traditionally filmed stuff that I've done um, is just like recording people at different times and either using voiceover and wild lines to sort of layer in to make it seem like somebody is in the room when they're literally not, mm -hmm. um, as well as using whip cuts, especially for the found footage show. Because like the, the challenge with Brains, the, the first show that I ever made, was it was found footage, which meant most of our takes were a single, like, a single shot, allegedly, you know, it was, I would carry a camera around and we would have an interaction. And as the like, as, certainly as the season went on, and we took the camera more and more off of the tripod, because like we were modeling the show after the Lizzie Bennett diaries. But that show, the camera never moves, Every, like the people move within the camera, but like the camera is static the entire time. And mm -hmm. I, we really didn't want to do that. And that didn't feel like, true to the way that most vloggers use cameras like most people take the camera out in the world and like film themselves and film other people and so we wanted to have more movement but what that meant was with a large ensemble cast that I would never write now <laughs> we had to schedule a lot of people for no money and sometimes people would just straight up not be available when other people were there or they would get sick like we had one shoot our longest shoot day no, was it our? Yeah, that was our longest shoot day. Our longest shoot day was a full 11 page shoot day in Prospect Park in the middle of summer. Just absolute nightmare conditions to start off with. But then uh, one of our lead actors, um, Colin, who I've worked with a lot, was sick. Like, we didn't know until he got to set. He was a little bit late. And we were like, hey, what's going on? And he's like, I have been throwing up the whole way here. And he walked to Prospect Park from where he was leaving. We were like, oh, my God, Colin, are you OK? And he's like, no, I can do it. I can get through it. But like, you know, he was slower and he, he was clearly not feeling well. But, you know, we had seven other people there. And we we're like, OK, well, if you... We have to trust you that you say that you're okay, but we're going to try to get you out of here as quickly as possible. But obviously it's challenging because he's in every scene mm -hmm. <laughs> and he is like, has to physically be there. So what we ended up doing was we would base, we basically re-blocked all of the scenes to have his character be a little bit out of frame for most of the interaction. But when he had a line, we would like physically whip the camera to him. And for anyone who doesn't know what a whip cut is uh, in our Patreon, I'll include some like how to's, but basically it's you move the camera very quickly in a particular direction and then match that movement in a brand new shot, hiding the cut in the blur or, you know, a lens flare or something like that. So like visually, it appears as though it's one continuous shot, as long as you match the motion and cut mm -hmm. while like the camera is blurry, then nobody can tell. And so we just basically placed him somewhere differently, whipped to him, filmed all of his stuff early, and then like let him go lay down and, you know, got him an Uber home. Um, and that's how we managed to shoot his stuff, but then still have like eight more minutes of footage of other characters talking without it seeming like he was not there. Yeah, I think I, I try to avoid 
doing that as much as possible because obviously the other actors want the performance to react to and and just, you know, vibe with. But in a pinch, you know, if there's some sort of emergency, it's it's a go-to. I did it in About a Donkey. There's a scene where the mom character is talking to a local police officer who is doing a favor by uh, looking for their missing donkey. And the actor playing the police officer, Nabil, he got held up at something and then he missed his train. We were shooting on Long Island and he was coming from the Bronx. That's a long trip. (laughs) Yeah. And we had limited sunlight because it was like natural light coming through the windows. And I was like, okay, we could squeeze his in at the like very, he will get there just in time before sunset that we could get his and match the lighting, but we need to shoot the rest of the scene first. And so... What worked out about that scene is that the mom is like going on a little bit of like a very absurd rant about her family to him, sort of speaking at him. And he's just like reacting to how ridiculous she is, as opposed to like her needing to react to him. And so it made sense for her to just speak to, we had one of the other actors put on his shirt because I had his shirt And we just had it be like an over the shoulder where you wouldn't catch his hair or the side of his face or Mm -hmm. anything. And we got her coverage. And then he showed up just in time. And I was like, I'm sorry, but I need you like in your seat, in your wardrobe this second. And he had two takes. And even though like he's just reacting, he he just kind of nailed it. And it was so funny cutting it together because like, it worked so well. I don't know if it would have worked as well if it was like a real conversational scene, but that was one instance where it really worked out. And you can you can definitely do that. It's all about, you know, how you decide to shoot. Like you can shoot people in singles and then they could exactly. be in like totally different rooms, you know? I mean, that's how most of The Good Wife was shot towards the end with like the two lead actresses. Devastatingly. I love that show. I'm so sad they was don't it? like each other. I didn't other. know that. <laughs> yeah. Towards the end, Archie Punjabi and... Uh, good wife lady juliana margulies mm. like apparently hated each other and so oh, like wow. their final scene at a bar they were shot on like different days or something i don't know this <laughs> is all rumor and conjecture but it's still <laughs> like even the idea that it could be true makes me very sad but yeah that's what we did for um so for ace and anxious my short film the actress not only did we have to shoot much earlier than we probably would have preferred because she was moving to los angeles i think she's actually back in new york now which is funny but uh so we had to like condense our shoot anyways but also she had to leave every day by like 2 p.m. in order to get to work and you know she was so gracious she was so wonderful we we really wanted to work with her and so what we would do is shoot everything with her in the morning and then the reverse shots of the other actors that she was performing with we would just shoot separately anytime we didn't physically need to see her we didn't which is too bad because I really wanted especially for like the later conversations in that film I wanted the characters to dirty each other's frames Mm -hmm. films speak for you can see their shoulder you can Mm -hmm. see their face because especially in like dialogue heavy emotional moments i like being able to see the actors in each other's spaces Mm -hmm. to remind us that like this is a real conversation and we would do that for her shots you would always see other people in her shots for the most part but we just couldn't do it reversal because she literally wasn't there but what i tried to do to balance out the frustration for the actors of not having someone to work like having the literal person to work off of was i made sure to always do the wide shots first which is traditional anyways Mm -hmm. you usually start wide and get closer but i i found that that at the very least 
least let them kind of get their pacing out. And it, it felt like, you know, by the time we got to the sort of solo shots where the main actress was gone, the other actors had like had their moment to interact and kind of had a feel for how the, the scene was going to go from there. So not ideal, but it worked out. Um, we also, uh, one of the first things I ever shot, which will never see the light of day, unfortunately, just because behind the scenes problems plagued the production. Uh, my friend Andrew's web series was called Vloggers. And there was a twin character, there were twin characters in that, but we obviously weren't able to just get twins. So we doubled the actors. And we actually, we recast the actor at some point, because we were trying to move forward anyways, but we had to shoot these scenes with quote unquote, twins twice with two different actors. And it was really interesting to watch how that worked, because to, to Andrew's credit, his thing was like, listen, Obviously, we're not going to like have the twins in the same shot all the time. That would be too much work for us. But if you can show the audience that you can do this very impressive like effect once, you never need to show them again because now mm -hmm. they just like implicitly understand it. So, you know, the, the classic cheating for making uh, twins is to just put your camera on sticks, don't move it, don't change the lighting and keep them on like their own sides of the room. We managed to do a rack focused effect between two shots to go from one one twin to the other and it was really impressive and it took like some important you know timing but like as long as the zoom was at the same speed and the camera hadn't moved we managed to do a rack focus effect with two fully different shots implying that the the same actor was you know actually two people in fact and then anytime we were shooting like you know individual coverage we would just have whoever was on set that didn't need to be holding anything we would put them in the other twins shirt and like have their shoulder in frame or something like that so same same kind of deal but yeah. for for twins instead of just implying a person is there who isn't right <laughs> yeah and then in terms of like space i know you have it written here to make a mm -hmm. room feel more crowded definitely sound design i mean that's like i think most of the time like the example i mentioned where my mom was sure. tricked by the sound design i think that you can do a lot with sound just like making mm -hmm. people you definitely have a problem on your hands if you have a really big wide shot of the room and you have this like foley sure. that's implying there's people like eating all around you and there's no one there mm -hmm. but if you kind of make sure that your camera angles and your sound are working together you can do a lot mm -hmm. yeah remember there are more senses than just visual right and i'm a big fan of of shoulders so like if you just throw shoulders in the corner edges of your frame then it can make a space feel a lot fuller when really it's maybe just like four people but strategically placed same with like people walking in and out of the background. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you... movement implies a place is busier. Right. And an easy thing you can do, especially if it's a continuous shot, is just like have an extra walk across screen, you know, put a different hat on and jacket and then walk back. You right. know, now it's two different people. And that's honestly right. not that hard to do. Theaters do it all the time with just quick costume changes behind the scenes. I remember when we were shooting Kelsey, we often only had like five or six people on set total across like the caster crew and so the mm -hmm. crew were always extras and totally and like your especially your you know g and e crew anyone that's not you know looking at the monitor or doesn't need to be controlling any specific equipment um they can probably be somewhere in the background if they don't want to have their faces seen just like turn them around have them on the sure. side like to the side you know there's a, there's a lot of different ways to be creative I remember our second AC, Erin, she would, when we were doing this restaurant scene, she was seated at the table that was behind the character the camera was on. 
and there was no one seated across from her, but it like <laughs> looked like there was just from the angle. And she, every time we would cut and then roll again, she would turn around with the slate and like slate and then and then pull it back around in front of her and pretend to be eating. And so, yeah, you can you can get really creative with the people that you, the bodies that you have on set. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I, I like actually, I want to go back to the first thing you said about like shoulders and like kind of layering. I think a thing that immediately clocks that a, something was shot by an amateur is very flat composition of frames. So mm -hmm. it's like the first most important thing is like the subjects of the frame. And then there's like a flat background behind them, you know, mm -hmm. so like they're on a couch against a wall, things like that. And the same happens in like, you know, quote unquote, crowd shots. And I, I like the idea and you've definitely done this before. I've, I've seen shots of yours, where like, there will actually be things closer to camera than the subject of the scene. And it makes the frame feel like more deep, it has more depth to it, because there's literally a foreground that is not what we're focusing on, mm -hmm. but it still provides layers. And that's just more visually dynamic. And it also goes a lot, you know, you can put someone's shoulder very close to camera, and it mm -hmm. fills up a lot more space and also makes yep. us as the audience feel like we're kind of fighting to like get through the crowd to see what's happening. And that's just one person much closer to camera, easier to position. That's that can make a huge difference. So hey, add depth to your frames. That's an early cinematography hack for you, you, yeah. you people wanting to skip ahead. Totally. It's it's a it's about filling your frame. And mm -hmm. that's kind of what your DP also should be looking for as well. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of part of the collaboration is like how can we make this feel like the space we want it to feel like. Totally. And lighting also goes a long way. Like, uh, you know, I mentioned at the very beginning, use stock footage to do like an establishing shot, not just of an exterior, mm -hmm. but like of an interior. If somebody has to be at a club, like get some shots of a club that have like a similar uh, in a space that has similar architecture to a space that you have access to, and then just match the lighting in your scene with your actual actors, you know, and maybe try to dress one or two of your extras up like people from stock footage. Right. And so in that situation, you would get the stock footage first and try to match that rather than the reversal, which is much more challenging. Yeah. Okay, well, since we're already kind of talking about it, do we want to hop over to crew cheats? Sure. I mean, obviously, the biggest indie film crew cheat is like, you have four people, you figure it out. <laughs> but that's a uh, that's, you know, let's get a little bit more specific than that. Yeah. Well, okay. So part of it, it is if you don't have a lot of crew because you can't afford to pay too many people, I think the go-to is to send, then say like, yeah, everyone wears four hats, but that's not necessarily sustainable. That's not right. necessarily fair to everyone. They're maybe not doing their best work if they're so divided. And so it, it may be that that is the, mo the necessary thing, but you mm -hmm. can also think about like, how can you pull other things back to not require some of those roles? And so before we get into like how we could specifically use crew on set in cheating ways, I think you could also think about how you could kind of scale back your production. Like I talked about this in a previous episode, but with About a Donkey, we were like, okay, we're trying to make a $20,000 feature where that, where that cash is going to pay everyone mm -hmm. um, primarily and then like equipment rentals and production insurance and that's it right? We need to like stretch that. And so we also can't have more than three or four crew members on set sure. 
there were there was one day where we shot this prom scene where we had our most crew and even that was like eight people maybe and so i was like we have to make the most out of what we what we have and part of that was like okay we can't really afford a gaffer like which is insane for film like you should have a gaffer but we couldn't really so part of part mm-hmm. of what we did was like okay everything is natural light <laughs> like we are not sure. really going to we will have some lights if we need to you know fill shadows and whatnot but it's all going to be very natural we've specifically found locations that had full surrounding windows so that we would have light coming from any angle we needed it to and we decided that we were only going to shoot on one lens the entire time and and so that meant like okay we didn't need more than one assistant camera because we weren't constantly swapping lenses and we didn't need necessarily a lighting team it did mean that my dp was doing a little bit more work than maybe he wanted to be doing but it was, you know, it was for efficiency and we and we mm. found creativity within that. And so sometimes it is overloading your crew if absolutely necessary, but sometimes it's also scaling back and getting creative with, with you know, how you can sort of reduce the need for specific roles. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, for, for us, thankfully, the kind of stuff that we have shot has either like there has been a forgiving nature of the thing we're shooting. So like brains was, you know, in some ways, if there was a a rougher bit of lighting or whatever, it felt part of the world Mm because it was found footage. The girl was literally filming it. And, you know, we would have loved to make that look better. But in a lot of ways, like the format we could lean back on. So something we started doing on Brains actually was because we like loved having behind the scenes footage for, you know, for material, like material, for materials, for marketing (laughs) materials and for crowdfunding and for things like that. But, you know, it was challenging when everyone has like seven jobs that they're doing. And really the only person taking photos on most of brains was me but like I'm in so much of brains or am literally holding like the video camera that then not only does that mean there was just like no footage of me which was kind of a bummer but also there were just there were large chunks of time where I physically couldn't be taking photos and so Mm -hmm. what we started doing was just assigning one person per shoot day like hey in addition to what you're doing you are in charge of photos today that way you know we didn't have to worry about like the sort of dissolving of responsibility of just like somebody everyone try to take photos it's like well that's a recipe for disaster because the mob psychology is like oh man i haven't taken photos all day but someone else got it i'm sure Mm -hmm. which is not setting anyone up for success so if we were just like on the call sheet like hey aiden it's your day to take photos so you know keep an eye out and we would obviously try to coordinate that with like a day that was going to be lighter on that crew member so like we would assign the dp to be the set photographer when it was a day where we were largely on sticks and he wasn't actually physically doing a lot he would set frame and then kind of step back and just sort of monitor things Mm -hmm. so that was an easier day for him to take photos versus like uh you know if it was a heavy actor day one of the actors or director would not be the photographer that day you know it would be the lighting person stuff like that so we tried to keep that in mind as we were scheduling days of like we need to make sure that one of these days isn't so hard on everyone that no one is going to be ideal to take like take photos because if it's a long day, there's probably a lot of opportunities to take photos. So like we tried to balance it that way. And, you know, to varying results, not everyone is a natural photographer. And when you know, you only have iPhones, a lot of them end up being very blurry, but at Mm -hmm. least you have a good balance, you know, at least you have something from every day. And there were usually a handful of usable photos and you know, that we ended up using, but we had a lot more photography on set once we started doing that, versus like hoping for the best. (laughs) 
in just mm-hmm. saying like we encourage photo like photos please take photos just don't post them right away right yeah so usually uh, at this point i usually have a like a designated behind the scenes person and and in most of the time it's kelsey because <laughs> On sets, on films where she's the writer, she's usually on set as a script supervisor and has to take like continuity photos anyway. And so then it's sure. like, why don't you also take behind the scenes? And then even if she isn't the writer, like if it's something I'm directing and I wrote, Kelsey's not like technical crew. So if she's going to be part of it, she's probably going to be scripty or just there to do BTS anyway. Sure. And that's like a convenient thing in that like I'm not paying Kelsey because we don't make any money. <laughs> like we don't pay each other for <laughs> working on our own stuff. But in the in the case that maybe you really like don't have anyone, you can't afford to pay someone and you don't want to ask people like specifically to do a job because it will feel like they're obligated to do something beyond what they've been hired to do or mm-hmm. whatever their creative thing is. I find that people always want to post on their social anyway because they want to show that they're on a set. They want to show their creative process. They want to show off what they're doing. And generally across all the people, if you put all those photos together, you would get a little bit of everything. You know, you would get a lot of like gear and setup photos from the tech team and you would get a lot of actory photos from the actors and and you would probably find some photos of yourself in there from somebody mm-hmm. and so usually what I do at the beginning of a set especially before we had specifically Kelsey doing it all the time I would say here's the hashtag for this film if you want to post on your social please use it and so then if people search that hashtag they see like basically an album of behind the scenes and then you can just sort of copy or screenshot them and then use them how you wish on the official channels you know your production company or whatever um that can backfire there was one when we were shooting summit uh i i thought it you know was common sense but it was a a, a lesson learned for me when my prop master decided to post a photo of one of the characters with an axe in her chest <laughs> and it was a spoiler oh, no. it was a spoiler Huge for the spoiler. end of the movie <laughs> and she was like it was like her with bloody hands because she had helped make the um the axe bloody and then like the actress in the background looking dead and i saw it within like an hour i think i think my friend chris like tattled basically and came and told <laughs> me and so then i was like okay disclaimer now <laughs> let me add this caveat to the the posting of bts no death spoilers sure <laughs> and so that's something you maybe would want to say is like feel free mm-hmm. to post outside of the context of whatever the thing is you don't want people to know maybe it's your yeah. ending scene maybe it is if it's a horror movie probably your deaths mm-hmm. anything that's going to be a major spoiler then you can you want to say that up front yeah usually i just make it a, a case of like you know take photos of like the behind the scenes stuff when we're just setting up but if there's ever if you it, like we're trying to avoid spoilers so if you think it might be a spoiler mm-hmm. like either use your best judgment or just come ask us you know we're, right. we're open to talking like we'd love for you to take as many photos as possible but if you want to post something and you're like not sure just ask we're you know we're not going to be mad at you for taking the photo or asking like you know we want to cultivate a, a, a community of like you can say whatever you want we we just want to make something cool together uh okay food sheets which uh, was recommended to us by skip shay on twitter so thanks skip shay for responding to our tweet about hey what do you spend a lot of money on um because it sounds like this person spent a lot of money on food, which is totally fair. So we already kind of talked about the assembly line buffet style, which is definitely what I, my go-to was prior to COVID. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really don't think it would be responsible during COVID. My friend Sean Mannion, I worked on his feature a few years ago, 
and he would make personalized sandwiches for everybody for lunch. Mm. And it was like, it cost him time making his own feature. And I'm sure it cost a little bit more than just having like buffet style. However, it was from like one loaf of bread and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, like deli style, whatever, but he was personally making them and like not cross contaminating. And so that was like, I thought that was really also kind of sweet because like he asked for food preferences ahead of time. So everyone kind of got Mm -hmm. their own personal sandwich, but it wasn't like from a deli. It was made by the director. So that's nice. And I I feel like you could probably streamline that process by making like a Google form that's essentially like a subway ordering system where it's like, you know, I'm going to get two times types of bread. So here are they choose one, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of go from there. Like what, what condiments do you want? Things like that. And then you just have a nice, easy spreadsheet that you can export of just like, okay, Christina, these are the four things she wants in her sandwich. Boom, done moving forward. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't have to just be sandwiches. Just sandwiches are just like the easiest go to as a, as always high level. Remember that like your cast's job is to be like healthy and fit to be on camera. So like, don't make, sh- make sure that none of your, not all of your snacks are just like sweets and things. This is something mm-hmm. that every actor I've talked to have been like, thank you for giving us carrots. Oh my God, I'm so sick of being on sets where I can't eat anything unless I'm desperate. <laughs> That's just a high level thing. I'm also going to share a very small little tidbit, but another caveat here is for the white people that are listening, don't go crowding these places and driving up the cost of them. But okay, <laughs> um, but doubles are a Trinidadian sort of like street food. They're these like fried patties with curried chickpeas and they're amazing and they're super cheap and you can, well, I'm not going to tell people where to get them, like do your own Googling, but um, (laughs) (laughs) there have been instances where I've just like gotten, you know, a dozen or two dozen doubles and most people have never even heard of them and have never even tried them and then they try them and they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. What is this? And so... um, I wouldn't say that you necessarily need to do that, especially because some people don't like spicy. Some people can't like handle curry. Sure. But fi- if you find like whatever your cultural background is, is, there's probably like some sort of street food that is a delicacy here, but like super cheap in the neighborhoods where they're made. Um, and you can like go support those neighborhoods and probably do something like that as an alternative totally. to sandwiches. And they're and they're like pre-made, you know, each individual one. And so And because it's street food, it's it's meant to be eaten kind of on the go. Right. And that's that's always helpful on a set. Great. Love it. Um, and yeah, so I'll say the other food cheat that I was taught and haven't been able to really implement yet was by my friend Kate Hackett. According to her, has never paid for food her entire filmmaking career. And uh, <laughs> so actually, the the reason that I bring this up specifically is our Patreon subscribers in the bonus content for this episode, I'm going to include a templatized version of what she gave to me because uh, a couple of years ago when she was making a project, she needed some like help just sort of contacting from a list of like food vendors that she was hoping to get like a free meal out of, um, but she couldn't handle all the outreach herself. So she like posted on Twitter, like, Hey, is anyone willing to do some like long distance, you know, support for us? And so I signed on and she sent me this like contact list as well as a a template for the ask. So I'm not obviously sharing the contact list and it's years out of date at this point, but it's a very easy template of just like, hi, this is who we are. This is what we are trying to do. We love your food. We would love your help donating one meal to our cast and crew. It's this many people like blah, blah, blah. So like if you want a, an easy template to start your outreach for getting free food and high level, it's much easier 
easier to get free food if the ask is very small. Like, hey, can you provide one meal on set for 12 people? Just one meal. That's it. We'll, you know, we'll and, and offer some things like that can go a long way. And especially if you're trying to connect with like local businesses, so not mm-hmm. chains and things like that, that goes a lot further. And, you know, they'll probably be a lot more grateful to be asked and, you know, be excited that they're included. Um, so if you want a template for that, subscribe to our Patreon for at That's least right. $3. <laughs> Hashtag breaking even by International Podcast Day. Um, <laughs> but those are the only food cheats that I have. Do you have any others? I've said this in past episodes in in our episode with Polkett. My mom cooks for all of my sets. So like, right. I mean, that's that's also a thing. If you have a friend or family member, like, actually, yeah. that's a good point. Quinn makes f- really great food and likes making food. And so he often makes like snacks or like a meal or something that um, that people can enjoy. And then he gets to be involved without actually having to like sit in that gross, sweaty set all day. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I think a lot of the time people want to support and they don't but they don't, maybe don't have money, but they have a skill and it's like, mm-hmm. and giving them a, a thing. I think most people who love feeding people, they love the experience of like knowing that people enjoy their food. And so they would be mm-hmm. happy to cook for you. And so if you have a family member who's always trying to feed somebody, and I mean, like my family, my mom's side is West Indian and my father's side, though I don't talk to everybody, they're Italian. And so like, I have a lot of people that want to feed people in my family. (laughs) (laughs) I've on my father's side, I have a cousin, Lori, we shot in her house for about a donkey. And she also, she cooked all of those days. And and the fact that she made vegan options as an Italian, who is not big on vegan, (laughs) you know, she, that's like, that's very generous of her, but she loves to cook. She loves to feed people. So finding those people in your life, I think, can you know go a long way yeah and also just like buying things in bulk like costco yeah. going to those places especially for like granola bars and stuff like that i mm-hmm. think you'll save a lot as much as you you know you want to support small business it's also a balancing act with you know not breaking mm-hmm. your budget totally no yeah that's great advice okay cool equipment cheats uh so my two are just like how to get your camera to move without having like dollies and like tracks and stuff because I've definitely worked on sets with dolly tracks and with Mm -hmm. I I was on one set once where we had like a rubber track with like a dolly tripod that and it was kind of a pain because like the rubber you know because it was meant to be flexible there was a lot of kinks in it and so every once in a while they'd be like a big shake up and it's like okay well that wasn't smooth we have to redo this but you can recreate that with a rolling chair Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um, so we've done that and I think Christina might share a video of a behind the scenes shoot from Ace and Anxious because our one of our starting shots of the scene um, or of the film is a tracking shot uh, or a dolly shot I think is the correct term from behind the character as she's like setting up her desk and it's just my DP with sitting like on his knees on a rolling chair filming and our gaffer pushing him (laughs) on the rolling chair and it's very funny to watch but it made a great shot and we didn't have to pay for that because they were already rolling chairs and then the other scene where we used I it might I think it was like a moving tool it's like a big flat like skateboard with 360 wheels Mm -hmm. so it's like something that you would use for for moving and it was a scene from brains where a zombie was chasing me down a hallway but like the human body cannot naturally like scoot backwards fast enough and smoothly enough for that to look realistic. Mm -hmm. So we had me holding the camera on uh, like sit on this, this flat dolly and the zombie would chase me as I 
kicked my legs back. And the reason I'm on the dolly and not just my DP was because we needed my feet in frame to look Mm -hmm. to make it appear like I'm kicking backwards. So I use that to start my momentum. But then my DP was behind me monitoring the monitor and pulling me backwards at the right speed. And the problem, though, with that was that obviously that's very loud and you can hear the wheels in the shot. So what we ended up doing was having to recreate the entire sequence in ADR. So Mm -hmm. we had like three different people provide zombie sounds that we could layer over each other because I had to like fall and then scoot backwards. I I was visiting my mom in Colorado in between uh, some of the production. And so I, because I couldn't do this in New York, because it would be, it would sound like I was dying in my apartment. I, when my mom was at work, would say at home in the kitchen, I would tape a lav to myself or like to a nearby wall. And then I would just like throw myself on the ground and like grunt and stuff <laughs> so that I would have like sound of me rolling around and like hitting hard floor and like gasping and stuff like that so that it didn't sound like I was being murdered in a very small apartment where everyone could overhear me. And I think we did an okay job. Like, you know, I'm certainly not a sound designer by any means. But yeah, that was a a shot where we had to use a cheat to get a very cool shot. But then the sound was fully unusable. So we had to recreate it entirely through ADR and try to seamlessly move it with the two ends of that scene that were properly recorded. And that was certainly challenging, but kind of fun. It is fun to like make your own Foley. So highly recommend. Yeah. Oh, I, I guess I guess related to that, just really quickly, if you need a, the sound of like a, a head or body part getting like hit, specifically head though, a watermelon, um, the sound of a watermelon getting like hit or chopped or whatever sounds a lot like um, a like a human head getting hit or punched or whatever. Um, it sounds really realistic. So for brains, when we needed to get zombie uh, like death foley where we needed to recreate the sound of like a zombie's head getting smashed in by a baseball bat we just bought a bunch of uh watermelons we put down trash bags on our hardwood floor and we just beat the shit out of some watermelons and it actually sounds great there's some really gruesome sounds we got from that so that's just an extra little sound cheat yeah i mean there's just so much you can do with sound design just like Mm -hmm. playing with sound when i when i was very quickly when i was studying abroad in India for um, a winter semester in college. I was taking a documentary filmmaking class and, and a cultural studies class, but I it was specifically at their like local TV studio. And if you've ever watched a Bollywood movie or like this was specifically in Tamil Nadu, which is southern India, and so they have Tamil movies, not Bollywood, but it's like the same thing. They don't. They're like really interesting because they ADR everything from sound like they have no production sound that's starting to change but they have no sound on set traditionally they like adr Hmm. all of their dialogue every single sound you hear my god and so it's interesting because like i've watched them since i was a kid and i watch them with subtitles so i don't always like notice that the mouths are not perfectly in sync but i Mm -hmm. imagine like it would really bother me if i spoke the language and was trying to watch it that way but it was fascinating because i would watch them do the foley for the films that they were making, like the student films that they were making, and they just have like amazing tricks. It would be like one person in the booth 
doing all these different Foley sounds because they're just like experts in creating literally any sound you need because they never have location sound. It's all Foley. <laughs> That's very cool. It was really cool to watch. Have you watched the, I'm sure you have, you're a horror person, but the Berberian Sound Studio? I haven't, no. It's like mm. a horror movie about a sound designer and like, but there's a lot of stuff. If you just watch that movie and like, at you know, in between what's happening in the real movie, watching him do Foley for this film that they're making within the movie was very interesting, like snapping carrots in half for like a bone breaking, mm. things like that. That's cool. So while we're talking equipment, I just wanted mm-hmm. to say very quickly, kind of going a little bit back to the crew sheets, I think part of what you want to do when you're crewing up is look for a collaborator, especially a DP who has the like innovative approach to filmmaking. They are not like a sort of commercial DP. I remember when I was trying to find someone for a project once, this one DP, she was really cool, but she was like, I need this, I need these accessories, I need this gadget. And it's like, well, could you function without some of these things? And it was like, no, she could not. She mainly shot commercials. (laughs) So she was so used to having all of the things. And so... I, and this was like coming off of the heels of working with my main DP, Peter, who like for an episode of Kelsey, we needed some light and we didn't have any more bounce boards. And he was like, look, a white tablecloth, like tape that to the wall and, you know, Mm -hmm. make that work. And like, that was sort of where I was coming from too, was just like, you make it work with what you have. And, and so, yeah, I think part of that is like looking for someone who has gotten on board with making a dolly out of a rolling chair and and a skateboard and all of that. And I think you'll find a lot of creativity within that. Also um, getting people from theater, like uh, my Andrew, mm-hmm. my first director who I worked with on a lot of things, obviously he had film experience because he went to film school. But honestly, one of the things that he brought to the table most specifically was his experience as like a theater person and a, a stagehand and a, a person who worked on like sets and stuff because in theater, you know, what you see is what you get. So like there's a lot of theater hacks for like creating a window on stage where obviously mm-hmm there's no window right. and like using lighting effects for that kind of thing and and so because theater you know you you don't have special effects you can't fix it in post like what is on stage is how people are going to experience the story a lot of times they have really clever little hacks to make things look realistic or real or even like hyper stylized but in a very specific way that film people and certainly film people who mostly work on professional sets might not have access to yeah I remember for The Gaze, Jeanette, this other DP that I collaborate with a lot as well, we had rented this Ronin, which is like a stabilizer. Mm-hmm. It's it's like- We use that on cool. Better With You as well. It's yeah. very cool. It is cool. It's super cool. But, it, and it's like, I think like $4,000 or something to buy. But, oh, sure. Um, to rent. We had rented it and we had to do this walking shot and- Jeanette was having problems with something was, it was off off about it. Or yeah. And they were like, let me just try and handhold it. And I was like, I feel like that's going to be really shaky. But the shot that we ended up using in the film was just them handholding. And so it's just like, <laughs> sometimes you think you need the gadget and other times it's like with some patience and really steady hands <laughs> and like the, you know, the tenacity to make it happen, you might end up with like a better shot. And And we didn't even have to stabilize it in post. The shot we used, it actually just like looks really smooth because of Jeanette just being really awesome. (laughs) Um, Okay. Uh, Location sheets. Uh, Oh, yeah. You had had a cool one for this. Location sheets. So, yeah. I think location sheets are kind of 
I think, the easiest thing to cheat in terms of mm-hmm. the world of cheating. Yeah, uh, if you tell somebody that you're at a bar, they'll believe you as long as there's right. like one or two pieces of set dressing that imply bar. Right. So I, while I think locations are sometimes the hardest thing to secure, they're also the easiest mm-hmm. thing to cheat. And I, I have a ton of them. So a cup, there are a few in About a Donkey. One of them we shot in this, it was, it was like an event space of this fire station that I got on Long Island that was basically free, which was cool, but we needed to then shoot in an back alley behind it and there wasn't an existing back alley and I didn't really have anything that looked like one that wasn't going to be insanely noisy or that we like wouldn't get bothered because it was also a night scene and it's like you don't necessarily want to be shooting in a sketchy back alley at night in New York City and so we decided to fake my terrace and my apartment building this sort of corner we shot just up against a brick wall because it is a a brick wall the building is brick and so we just shot it pretty tight and like you the way that we had them kind of walk into scene walk out of the the um event hall and then walk into the alley it worked out another one in about a donkey is a closet which i'll also post on our instagram um we needed this really tight closet the two kind of love interests in the movie jordan and cecilia Jordan pulls Cecilia into this closet and they're sort of face to face and it's like a cute scene where they're flirting with each other and we didn't actually have a tiny closet that we could shoot in and get the shots that we needed and so we had this office space and we had this one shelf that was like a plastic you know put together shelf that is like the height of a person and so Mm -hmm. we would just move that to create walls and then shoot Mm. through the shelves And in one moment, there's one moment where the grandmother walks in. And so we had like three people in this tight space and she's supposed to turn around and grab toilet paper off one of the shelves. And it was actually my hands holding up toilet paper and like just in the foreground, the toilet paper was in the foreground and then she just picks it up off my hand. Um, And so, (laughs) and then actually a big one was Summit, my first feature, which I think I talked about in our first episode, first projects episode, but I'll also probably Mm -hmm. mention it in pre-production when we talk about that. But we lost our location and I had, you know, made a bunch of trips up trying to find a new location upstate. And then I ended up finding one that would work for the exterior and another that would work for the interior. And so we matched two different houses to just look like the same house the whole time. Yeah. I mean, so much of cheats is just like being thoughtful in pre-production. You know, it's like, okay, if our interior and exterior aren't the same physical location, which even in Hollywood is mostly true, like, you know, the exterior of Stars Hollow for Gilmore Girls, like all of those interiors are on sound stages. Very few of them are like truly that space. So the thing about it is just like, okay, what actors do we need in both locations? What are they wearing? You know, taking reference shots so that if you shoot one on one day, you can say, okay, so your hair was like this style this day. So as long as you're careful, audiences want to believe that what you're showing them on screen is true. You know, like there's Mm -hmm. not only just like the inherent suspension of disbelief in watching movies, but also like people are rooting for the story to make sense. So like, as long as you can be thoughtful about how you shoot things and make sure that you are very careful to understand, like, this is who's in the scene, this is what they're wearing, this is what they look like, you know, all the stuff, making sure the lighting matches and having like any amount of continuity, you can get away with most things. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Let's do post-production. Sure, yeah, let's do post-production. When we were shooting Brains, we had a couple of exterior shots and there, you know, there's only so much we could control about that because we're just in downtown Brooklyn. And we were shooting this scene at Magic Hour on the rooftop or one of the rooftops of our graduate program. And there was this big, ugly eyesore of a building in the background. And like, you know, it's a building, whatever. You know, I don't think anybody would have really noticed it. But like, because we were in this scene for like three or four minutes and the camera doesn't move and it's just this big eyesore my director at the time noticed that neither myself nor my co-star actually pass in front of the building which meant that we had this completely untouched section of screen that was distracting that now we might actually have an option to change so what we ended up doing is you know neither of us know how to do like real special effects but we were both really good at photoshop so we spent like an entire day while we were in post-production uh we took a screenshot of the scene and we photoshopped the building in the background to look like kind of broken down and apocalyptic because, you know, brains was taking place in a zombie apocalypse. And so we like destroyed some of the like parts of the building to make it seem like, you know, the scaffolding was barely hanging together. And we added like overgrowth of plants and stuff. And then we just used masking, which is a pretty basic editing trick to superimpose that version of the scene over the like movement. So technically that like there's a huge portion of the screen that just doesn't move, which is fine Mm -hmm. because there wasn't a lot of movement anyways. It's a freaking building, Mm -hmm. but it ended up actually looking kind of cool. Yeah, like does. I every even today, does, I'm yeah. like, I'm pretty impressed with us. <laughs> and so we we cheated an ugly building in the background by just using Photoshop and slapping a photo over it. I also had to do a similar masking trick for Sam and Patter Depressed, the quarantine episode, because there was a fly in the background of my scene that was just very distracting, but it was only in one corner of the scene. And similarly, the camera wasn't moving. <laughs> so I just like clipped a section that there was no fly in from an earlier sequence and masked it over and um you know i didn't I, i've never taken an, an editing class i don't know what the hell i'm doing mm-hmm. use google post-production right. hack use youtube right. <laughs> it's interesting i think editing in and of itself is sort of like cheating in general because like totally you can change so much you can change an entire performance you know you can like take a reaction to one moment and make it a reaction to a totally different moment. 100%. Oh, yeah. I almost never use the correct reaction <laughs> shots for things because, like, you know, there's so many more options. Oh, <laughs> shout out to Chris Graves, by the way, who who mentioned this as something that sh- uh, she spends a lot of money on is color correction, original music composition, sound mix, like finishing costs obviously take a lot of money. My hack is don't don't spend money on it. Just figure it out using YouTube. <laughs> and just doing your your darndest (laughs) yeah but also i guess a cheat for that would be maybe like finding someone who doesn't yet have experience in the thing they want to do so they're trying to build their reel or you know their portfolio in that thing and you kind of give them that title that they're trying to get to you know it's like they've never colored before but they want to be a colorist and they've only Mm -hmm. been an assistant or whatever it's hard because it's all skills but they're they're I think less people like dream of being a colorist, more people dream of being a director of photography. So like Mm -hmm. you, the people who are doing it and are good at it are, you know, harder to find. And so then they're, you have to pay them. But, um, Mm -hmm. but I mean, uh, students, like I I hate saying the hack of like, get a student intern, but like, you know, if you're second or third year in film school, you're taking an editing class and you want like practical experience. A lot of times, if you just talk to like the department heads, you know, and, and like, just go to a local school and be like, Hey, 
I'm working on a project, I'd love to get some students in to help me out. And a lot of times you can get them like internship credit, where you could get them class credit or independent study credit. And you know, I don't want to advocate for unpaid internships here. But when you're a student, and you need practical experience, and you know, you're going to be good to their time, and you're, you're going to actually make it a genuine learning experience, try to work it out so that they get more than just the experience, you know, try to get them school credit or whatever. Uh, and, and a lot of times, like they have just been taught how to do a really cool thing that you might have just never learned. And that can be a, a big boon in crewing yourself and, and giving people experience while also having someone who has literally studied how to do this, do the thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously people deserve to get paid what they're worth. And, but it's, it's all, it's hard because like, we're trying to just make projects and tell stories and there's no money in that, you know, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately. And, and so it's, it's, yeah, it's finding the balance. And, and I think if you go back and listen to our second episode where we talk about finding your team, mm -hmm. I know that Brie and I both met our main collaborators in school. And so mm -hmm. it makes sense that like we grew together and so we're still working together, even if the money isn't always there. And I think it's hard if you're not, if you didn't go to film school, if you didn't, you know, find people at that age where you're all like ready to just experiment and play together when you like really want to make something seriously but you don't have money <laughs> it's harder mm -hmm. but uh that's why i recommend going back and listening to that episode totally a hundred percent um okay so we're we're towards the end so props and production design i think we can probably combine yes. so prop cheats christina yeah so you wrote this but then i added an example <laughs> so i don't want to take credit for what you wrote but you you said imply something rather than literally show it mm -hmm. and uh yeah i think that it's it's just like the sound design thing where if mm -hmm. you you can trick the brain into thinking they see it or just understand that it's there by the way you create context and it could be sound it could be the other production design an example I have is in About a Donkey, we needed a w hospital waiting room, and we actually faked it by using this back corner of the local, which is a, a local hostel here in Queens. Oh, um, I've been there, because I, I, that was where we used Screened Ace and Anxious for yeah. <laughs> uh, IndieWorks. Yeah, so if you go around the corner, there's like a little hallway that has these interesting doors that look like hospital doors because they have windows on them and they're blue and they just have this hospitally feel to them. And those that those doors lead to the hostel rooms. Mm. And so I asked them if we could shoot there and they were like, yeah, totally. Like just mention us in the credits. And so we got a bunch of chairs that looked like hospital waiting room chairs and we put them up against the wall. And then Nicole Solomon, she was the, um, the art director. She printed out, they like really cheap. They look really cheap when you hold them and look up close but on screen they look totally real she got these like signs that said like waiting area and like no smoking and things that you would see like in a hospital waiting room mm -hmm. and and then of course we did the shoulder thing and people walking in and out and like one person wearing a medical jacket and whatnot sure but there was one specific prop where at the end of the scene the the mother character is like can you freaking turn that tv off and we couldn't actually like mount a TV on the wall. So mm -hmm. we just had a TV like going in the background the whole time. And she just gestures up beyond the screen, like the, the frame of the what we're seeing. And she's like, can someone turn that TV off? And I showed it to a bunch of people. And I was like, do you find this weird? Are you like, what TV? And they're like, no, like that 
makes sense that there would be a TV in a waiting room and like mm-hmm. I hear it and it goes off like we tur- we cut the sound of it and so like that was a very easy thing to make work. Yeah, just always, you know, and and we said earlier that like a lot of cheating is remembering that you have more than one sense, but the other thing is you can use like you can show some of one sense to imply what you're not seeing. So Mm -hmm. like visually, like seeing somebody point somewhere and say, Mm -hmm. there's a TV there. It's like, well, I believe you. Why wouldn't I believe you? Like, I'm not here to like argue with this movie. You say there's a TV and I hear it and I see where you're pointing. And I'm like, I believe there's a TV there because that makes sense. Then everyone believes it. And like they haven't seen that corner at all. So there's nothing to say that there isn't a TV there. Yeah. A hundred percent. And yeah, so like a lot of the other like cheats for um turning one location into another using production design and props is like yeah it's a lot of implications like what are the the visual and auditory markers of this kind of place even if you're not there so like for the hospital it was the doors with the window mm-hmm. and the types of chairs which you could bring in and like the signage that you could do- totally get like visual references for and make your own of you know there's a mm-hmm. lot of very cheap printer places that you can go and like they don't look great in person but again it looks great on camera and right. so much of cheating is like it looks insanely fake in real life but on <laughs> camera oh yeah that's the stuff and so obviously you can put make one place look like so many places like mm-hmm. my friend Kate Hackett who I mentioned earlier her major project uh, from a couple of years ago that I met her through was her web series Classic Alice. And one of her seasons, they basically got an Airbnb of this like really big house and they shot the entire season there because like it was a pretty big house. And so they just use like, all right, this room is this set. This room is this set. And they just sort of like wandered around the house depending on what scene they were in and Mm -hmm. using production design and you know, moving furniture around, changing the set dressing and stuff like that. Like this one location was turned into like 18. And, you know, that's totally beneficial. You just got to be careful of like what the boundaries are from set to set. So like this part of the room is the, you know, this bedroom set. This part of the room is this living room set, things like that. And as long as you're telling us this is a new place, and as long as you're giving us the visual and auditory indicator, so like maybe one place's Foley has like, cars running by outside so we're you know assuming okay this location is closer to the street and then in another location even though it's the same room there's no cars outside maybe there's like the sound of a stream or you know people talking or like a little bit of music or whatever it's like create a different space with the other things even though the space itself is literally the same that goes a long way. Also lighting, I think, is a really underused piece yeah. of production because I think everyone assumes like, do I see what's on camera? It's lit. <laughs> yeah. But like the temperature of a room. Mm-hmm. So like if it's more orangey versus more like cool and blue, if it's like really bright, if it's more, if it's darker and, and there's more shadows, like all of those things visually imply a different place. So if you just light a room more blue versus more red, it looks like two totally different spaces. Move the furniture around it a little bit and like, boom, you've got like five different sets. So yeah. use all of your tools, be aware of all the tools you have to your advantage and you can do infinite things. Yeah. I mean, there's so much like similar to your example with Kelsey, our web series, we turned one bar into, I think, five different locations because Mm -hmm. we just used like different sections where there was different wallpaper or where there was like wood paneling or we would Mm -hmm. change the lighting temperature, the color temperature or the lighting. For some, it was like, we're going to change the chairs and make this a brunch spot and open up the windows and have it be daylight. And then for others, it's going to be obviously like low-key night. 
and it's going to have like a warm temperature versus a cool temperature. Mm -hmm. And once again, that's pre-production. You know, you have your little breakdown where it's like, all right, in this scene, the characters are wearing these outfits. The color temperature is cool. And, Mm -hmm. you know, these are the three posters we'll have on the wall. And then, okay, when we're turning it into a different sequence, this, you know, it's stuff like that. Just plan, plan ahead. And you can make a like $200 movie look like a $20,000 movie, probably. Just like the thing that I'm always trying to get my students to understand is that it's not about being necessarily skilled. It's not about being rich. It's about being thoughtful. Mm -hmm. Like so much of filmmaking is just being thoughtful, not just rushing and arbitrarily making decisions like, all right, I'm going to point a camera at you and say your lines. It's like, why am I pointing the camera at them from this angle? Why is the camera lower versus higher versus straight on? Why Mm -hmm. is it this corner of the room? Why is that what's in the background? They're like, oh, it's because it was on the wall. And I was like, okay, well, what does that tell me about your character? Right. I, as the viewer, want to be, you know, whisked away. But if your, like, film is completely arbitrary and it's just like, well, I needed to hear them say the words, so there they are. They stood there and they said the words. (laughs) It's like the film is about so much more than that. It's about every single thing that Mm -hmm. I'm hearing and seeing and experiencing on screen. So be thoughtful about that. And thoughtfulness doesn't require money. It just requires time. It's a matter of getting creative, planning, and and really thinking about like, what do you actually need people to take away and what will accomplish that? Totally. Yeah. It's, it's about like, what is the story purpose of this thing? You know, j- whenever I teach budgeting classes and stuff like that, I'm like, okay, when you're writing down everything that your script says you need, do you actually need it? Like most of the stuff, like buy-in, our production design budget was so much lower than our expected production design budget because there was just all this nonsense in the script. Like, you know, there's a suitcase in the corner and I'm like, do we do anything with the suitcase? No. Mm-hmm. Why is it there? Because we thought it would be confusing that he's in a hotel without a suitcase. Who gives a shit? <laughs> the suitcase has nothing. His suitcase could be in the closet, which we never see into. So like, what is the right. point of this facade? And so it's just about being really realistic with yourself about like, do I want this because I assume I need it or because the story requires it for, you know, an emotional thing, for a character thing, you know, for a plot thing. If, you know, emotion, character, and plot don't require this item, this location, this whatever, then what is the other way to get to those three things without having to spend money on this or spend time and equipment on this, whatever? Like, it's about the story. Uh, Okay, I guess final uh, thing, um, another Chris Graves mention uh, about production insurance, which I have never paid for because I I think safety is for for wieners. But (laughs) (laughs) just kidding. I mostly shoot with like three people and I should have production insurance and I just haven't. But Christina, you've had production insurance before and Mm you... Uh, this is something I think you shared in a previous Patreon bonus piece of content, but how how are you cheating production insurance while still <laughs> literally having production insurance? Yeah, so one thing that you can do, especially for shorts, like if you're doing anything that you, you know, you, you want to be protected, especially if it's not in your apartment and if you are renting a location, a lot of the time they will ask for some sort of insurance. Mm-hmm. You can find a production company that has annual insurance And a lot of the time they will rent it out for a smaller fee. And sometimes they'll even do it for free in exchange for like a producer credit or for points or some sort of promotional exchange. Mm -hmm. But even if it's renting it, it's it's probably way cheaper than going through a direct insurance company. Yeah, they're like insurance landlords. They're subletting (laughs) their insurance essentially. Right. 
And then like with about a donkey, for instance, we we got our own insurance because like I had to insure the donkey, like in case anyone got hurt mm-hmm. or the donkey got hurt, like it was a whole big thing. So I had to pay for real insurance for that. I'm not not that the other insurance is fake, but I had to do it all through my own channels. But mm-hmm. because of that, it wasn't I didn't do it for f- the film specifically. I did it. It was all for the parameters of the film, but it was through my production company and it was for a two month window of time. So I was like, okay, we're shooting something else in this mm-hmm. time to make the most of this insurance. So it's not just an expense for this film, but I can maximize how much I get out of it. Um, and so we, we shot, I think another short and, and in theory, I could have rented it out, you know, to someone mm-hmm. else in that time, someone who, who needed similar coverage. Of course, if you're the one who's renting it out, you want to make mm-hmm. sure you trust the person or vice sure. versa, but. Mm-hmm. Or you are trustworthy. Right, exactly. But that's the really the the best way I think is finding uh, a bigger entity to mm-hmm. tack onto, and it's it's unfortunately an expense. The bigger you get, that you really can't sacrifice. Um, mm-hmm. Especially with the more people you have on set, the yeah. more like people that you have like legitimate arrangements with. Like the more money that you put into something, the more liabilities that you have, and the more safety concerns and all of that kind of stuff. And like you know, insurance is there for a reason. It's only a wasted expense until it super is not. Yeah, and then just in terms of like COVID, I know that insurance is mm-hmm. a lot more expensive right now, and. For me, that's why I'm not making anything. I mean, it's part of why I'm not making anything. I'm also just like exhausted from surviving in a pandemic for the past year and a half, but amongst other reasons, but that is a big one. It's like, I couldn't possibly afford it because I want to make sure that it would be safe and, you know, we take care of people and all of, you know, COVID protocol, but also the mm-hmm. insurance in and of itself is like double. Yeah. So that's that's our bookended uh, COVID disclaimer, <laughs> which is, hey, maybe don't shoot anything right now if like you don't want to spend a ton of money and other people's safety. Yeah. But to, <laughs> but since we're talking cheats, I shot a bunch of little shorts starring my cats during the pandemic. And part of what we were doing was matching locations because Mm -hmm. I there's a whole film that we made where my cat Addie meets Kelsey and a friend of the pod and past guest Danny Thomas's dog Tino. And they've never actually met in real life. We just matched footage uh, where like my cat's in the doorway of my apartment and their dog is in the hallway of their their mm-hmm. hallway. And, and that's uh, also where you can use whip cuts as long as you have two locations that look semi-similar. You can appear as though you are in the literal same space and in same, the same shot, in fact, um, right. just through through doing that. Right. Stay. You can stay creative and keep creating even if that means you can't really collaborate in person right now. That's true. That's true. Again, it's it's not about limitations. It's about creative problem solving. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, Ezra Lee for editing this episode, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them, as always, are in our episode description. And remember to join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash breakingoutpod so you get notified of all of our new episodes dropping every other Thursday, plus all of the great bonus content. And don't forget, we are trying to break even by September 30th, International Podcast Day. So help us break even and get yourself a bunch of extremely 
extremely cool in-depth stuff to help you push your production sheets and more even further, uh, we'd love to have you there. It'll be a big old party. And thank you to our booby VIPs who are $10 patrons on Patreon. Amanda Blunt, Anthony Epp, Shannon Sprangler, Jules Piggott, Rain Bernal, Kelsey Rauber, Jerry Maravia, Norman Steinberg, and Shana Rose Woolley. If you would like a name shout out at the end of every episode, please feel free to subscribe at patreon.com slash breaking out pod. Also remember to rate us five stars on your favorite podcast app and actually write out a review. It goes a long way and we appreciate it every single time. Next episode, we are going to be covering a lot of what we actually talked about in this episode, which is creative partnerships and working with friends with our friends and uh, work wives, Kelsey Rauber and Christine Cherry. Mm -hmm. So be sure to tune in. (laughs) 